to the Retail Smarts Podcast. I'm your host, Dominique Lamb. Today, I'm incredibly excited to welcome Gabby Leibovich. Many of you will know Gabby and have heard wonderful tales of him. And it's really about, this is about having a legend on our podcast today because um, this man has done some absolutely incredible things, um, certainly within the retail space, particularly in the online retail space, and really is about the epitome of disruption and innovation, you know, working with iconic businesses, including, you know, Catch of the Day, Eat Now, Menu Logs, Scoop On, and Luxury Escapes. Within 13 years, he and his brother have built and sold and or merged brands for more than a billion dollars. Not many people can say that they've done that, certainly not in a lifetime um, and certainly not with their brother. So this is absolutely um, a real honor today. So welcome to our show, Gabby. Thank you, Dominique. It's uh, great being here with you. We always start our podcasts with asking people, you know, what made them get involved in retail? What was what was the lure to the retail industry? Okay, so uh, I'll start with the following. I've never uh, really uh, applied for a job. I'm 51 years old. And uh, I've never really um, uh, worked for anyone but myself or in the early days, uh, my dad. My dad was a small-time retailer, uh, both in our country of my birth, Israel, as well as Australia. We came here in 1986 when I was 16. And, uh, you know, literally from the age of 16, uh, we started selling in Melbourne markets, uh, jewelry, clothes, whatever we could get our hands on. And I'm guessing this was my early introduction to uh, to buying and selling. Later on, we were running in Melbourne, a store similar to what you would describe a JB Hi-Fi or a Good Guys. And I spent over 10 years uh, doing exactly that, you know, selling televisions, microwave cordless phones, fax machines, advertising in the local papers, uh, learning how to deal and how not to deal with suppliers and customers. And, uh, and I'm guessing that was my uh, university and, and, and education of, uh, of, of retail, which uh, gave me the, uh, the basic tools to be there at the right place at the right time when online shopping uh, hit Australia. And we started selling on eBay, you know, sometime around uh, 2004. It's such an interesting tale because, you know, I think that people that are so successful in this industry often have merchants in their blood, you know, and it is that real kind of lessons learned on the ground. What are the, some of the biggest lessons from early on in your career when you were at the markets, or when you were working with your dad that you think you've carried forward, you know, into all of the amazing brands that you've worked with? Look, there's so many, and uh, as a matter of fact, we wrote a book of it full of 200 lessons. But uh, you know, if I have to pick one or two, then then I think I think building relationships is is so important. Uh, so relationships, you can look at it in so many facets. But number one is building a relationship with with your supplier, because again, without your supplier, you are worth nothing. And the supplier has a lot of choice uh, as to who they want to give their their best selling stock at the best prices. And of course, building a relationship with uh, with your customers because without customers uh we we are nothing uh so we talk in the book about the concept of one plus one equal three how you can merge two things and be able to build larger things uh that applies here it also applies to my relationship with my co-founder which is my brother and we've been doing everything together even though i do the podcast and you'll see my face in the media or linkedin you know is just as important if not more so uh yeah i couldn't have done anything without uh without hezi uh, the second one that I want to say is really surround yourself with smart people. Then the smart people are uh, both uh, your employees first, first and foremost, 
And, uh, and secondly is your advisors. And I'm talking about accountants, lawyers, uh, and, 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 any, and anyone else. Uh, you mentioned that our skill and our DNA is in, in buying and selling. And yes, we are merchants. That's, that's really all I am. I'm the first to admit that I'm not the smartest person in the room and I don't understand the legal side and I don't understand fintech and I don't understand blockchain and, and I don't understand technology. I need my 12 year olds to help me set up the computer, but we are buyers and sellers, you know, and we enjoy buying and selling. Uh, in the past, it was retail and now it's in front of the PC. What's it like working so closely with family for such a long time? How do you navigate, you know, the relationship with your family members as well as, you know, your relationships in business? Looks like, yeah, I built everything together with my brother. He's uh, six years uh, younger than me, but uh, I think we're very fortunate to uh, – to have a similar DNA in many ways, but also have so many differences, you know, a line that we often use when it comes to this question is if you have two co-founders that are exactly the same, then one of them is not required. And uh, one thing that we know is that we are very, very different and we have different views of life and also different skill sets. Um, you know, my brother is better than me in some things and I'm better than other things. Uh, you know, again, I'm doing this podcast, which is something that he would never do, but he's excellent at being there at the early days of connecting everything that's required, uh, to build a business. Uh, yeah, there's so many examples of family and business. They don't work. I'm very happy to say that in our case, you know, uh, it did work. Uh, on the flip side, there's so many things that we are very similar on and are so important to building a business. Uh, for example, our, uh, our appetite for risk. We are both very much risk takers and we make decisions, uh, you know, very, very quickly. Uh, we're also still very hungry, you know, even though we sold catch a couple of years ago, we still keep looking, thinking, investing and, and, and building other businesses. So that hunger to succeed and grow and learn is, is, is something that, that both of us have in uh, in large quantities. I was reading that uh, you wanted to be a soccer player when you were <laughs> younger and that you're actually a very good soccer player up until you say in your 40s. And I find that really interesting because many of the great retailers that we've had on this show have a love for sport. Do you think that that kind of competitiveness or, you know, the love of a game or even strategy involved in things like soccer have really kind of shaped the way that you've approached things like risk and innovation and, and what kind of businesses you're interested in? I have to admit that I've had many questions in the past, but I haven't had that one before. So congratulations for coming up with an original one. I haven't thought about that, but I'm guessing there is. I mean, soccer and, and sports generally, it's about being competitive. It's about winning and getting getting first to the line. Uh, and it's also about teamwork, uh, as we mentioned. I don't think I would have been a good uh, tennis player. Sounds really boring or chess, but soccer is all about uh, team. And uh, again, we attribute our success first and foremost, to the people that, uh, that surrounded us. And um, you literally go to war every single day, just like a team goes to, to war when you, when, you, when you play a different team. Uh, and as they say, uh, a, a team of, a, team of um, a champion team doesn't have to be composed of team of champions individually, but together you form that group of, uh, you know, that can create magic. 
It's interesting when we talk about kind of sport and retail, what we also find is this concept of winning or being the best. Did you strive to be the best kind of soccer player that you could possibly be or the best kind of retailer that you could be versus winning? Look, I suppose we all try and be the best. Uh, I think that I was great, but then again, I wasn't good enough to play in a team like uh, Melbourne Victory, uh, Brisbane, and certainly not uh, certainly not Liverpool. So yeah, but I think that I went as as, as far as I could, but. My career stopped or around the age of 16 and, uh, and 17. But I think just like I have that bag of retail and entrepreneurship and startups, uh, that bag of, uh, of, of soccer is something that also will probably never leave me. I went a couple of days ago and watched the Socceroos play against Japan in Sydney. It was raining and we got wet and it was a really shitty game, Dominique, but uh, just the things that we need to do. <laughs> well, you've got to stay in touch, I think, with the things that you love because it keeps yeah. you grounded, right? Even if it's yeah. raining, you've got to get out there. Um, you know, when you started out, I mean, what was one of the hardest things, I guess, that you came up against? Because, I mean, some of these these businesses are absolutely incredible. And for many people who have been around Australian retail for a long time would say they came out of nowhere. You know, you emerged, you disrupted, and you just kind of rose like a phoenix. What were some of the hard lessons that you learned early on? Look, I have to, I mean, people describe us as pioneers. And when you do look at those brands, and uh, you can definitely say that we were pioneers alongside, you know, others like Paul Greenberg and, and a few others in the industry. Look, some people will attribute it to luck. Some will attribute it to hard work, being there at the right place at the t- right time and, 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 and so on. But, uh, I mean, let's talk about the, the food delivery business that we launched, uh, Eat Now. We're talking 2012. Uh, we were not original because Menulog started quite a few years before us in Sydney. But yeah, when you look at it right now, and we are 10 years after that launch, and all of us certainly understand and, uh, and can see how, and can see all the benefits of aggregating and building a marketplace of, of restaurants. Yeah, I mean, we saw that ten years, uh, ten years earlier, uh, which really allowed us to be able to 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 build various businesses. And you can say the same thing about Scoop on Luxury Escape, and of course Catch. And when when you start early, uh, there's one massive benefit where you don't really have that much competition. You know, you've been watching this industry for a while. And when we launched the 2006 catch of the day, my number one competitor was, again, Paul Greenberg for Deals Direct. Because back then, Dominique, JB Hi-Fi and Harvey Norman and uh, Meyer and David Jones, and none of them were actually selling online, which mm. uh, which worked to our to our benefit. Uh, our biggest, you know, stop of growth was was also that because the suppliers that we approached didn't want to deal with us because they actually only wanted to deal with retailers that uh, had a bricks and mortar physical store. It's fascinating to me because I think, um, you know, when we look at the statistics, Australians prior to COVID-19 were spending about 9.5% online and that's now escalated to say about 17%, predicted to go to 20%, you know, very shortly, just because people have become absolutely used to it. They love it. You know, that obviously the concept of getting packages amongst other things and the simple convenience and of course, lockdowns have played such a huge role. When you look at businesses, when you look at them to invest in, are these the kind of things that you take into account? You know, growth areas within retail, things that you know, like e-commerce, how do you spot kind of the next trend or where, where we should be going? 
Yeah. Uh, you mentioned COVID. I mean, uh, the last two years have just been an, an amazing, it's been an amazing period for, uh, for a startup person to launch a business. Uh, certainly for an investor, there's so many opportunities. Uh, and the world has realized that uh, anything digital is here to stay. Uh, we started investing back in 2015 after the uh, after the sale of Menulog. We got some cash and we were a little bit bored of going to the office every day. And uh, we got introduced to so many people. Ask me to tell you the uh, Nick Molnar story later on. And yeah, it's something that myself and my brother do re- are really interested in doing. We'd like to find you know other Australian businesses in areas that we do understand and love. E-commerce is our number one love. Marketplaces is is uh, is equal best. But there's so many opportunities in uh, whether it's uh, fintech or property tech or HR tech that is really being disrupted all around us. If I have to pick one uh, element uh, that explains how we invest, then I have to say gut feel. Dominic, <laughs> back to uh, back to the old message that we're not the smartest people in the world, and we probably don't use as much analytics as others. But uh, having been around for a long time and uh, met lots of people, we get approached by lots of young individuals and not so young individuals that uh, that uh, that want our advice. And we're very, very fortunate to hear about a lot of businesses uh, early on in their. Um, in their trajectory, and it allowed us to invest in some great, but we also invested in some uh, really bad ones. Uh. <laughs> but you're particularly good at celebrating the really good ones, and I think that um, you know that is absolutely crucial not only to the ecosystem but also to the success of you know a lot of um, a lot of these brands. I mean, without someone to kind of champion them, you know, whether it's you or you know. Paul Greenberg or, or whoever it is. I mean, they need a face and, and they need a champion. And I think yeah. that, you know, you have been absolutely a champion for e-commerce in Australia. Thank you. Thank you. And, uh, yeah, we certainly love to, uh, to elevate others as, as, as you grow. It's something that you, uh, that you owe the community. It gives me a massive pleasure. I never charge for my time, whether it's on a podcast, on an event, anyone that asks me out for a breakfast, lunch or dinner, I'm, I'm, I'm always there and I'm happy to do it. And it doesn't matter if you're a successful unicorn or a 17-year-old uh, year 12 student. I'm a firm believer that if you give back to the community, it'll all come back to you in one way or another. And I know that, you know, you'll introduce me to lots of people in the future and I'm very happy to do and, uh, and, and continue contributing. I mean, that's, that's such a great way to live, right? Especially in a, in an industry like an ecosystem, like Australia's retail, where do you think that comes from? I mean, do you think that that's, you know, a part of your values that you were raised with, or, you know, is it something that, you know, over time, time and time again, you've seen, I guess, the rewards for simply giving back and giving your time and making yourself available? definitely have seen the reward again and again and again when you do the right thing it'll come back but you know as they say Dominique and in the Jewish religion we really believe in that the best way to help is really help those that will most likely will never be able to uh, repay that debt to you again we came to Australia with absolutely nothing I started with nothing at the age of 36 I've got so much right now and uh, I don't know if, if we're talking about religion, then I think God has taken care of me and my family, and it's my responsibility to uh, to do the right thing by the rest of the community. When you're looking at, I guess, all of the businesses at the moment that sit under your kind of banner, what's the what's the one that you're most excited about? 
uh, going forward or going forward or even going backward i mean which, what's the brand that is the most exciting to you I'm going backwards because I mean, over the last two years, I've been so-called, uh, you know, unemployed, having sold catch, etc. But uh, you know, if I meet someone in the coffee shop and they ask me who you are and what you do, then I'm guessing the best way to describe it is I'm the founder of Catch. Uh, it's a brand that every Australian recognizes right now. I'm a retailer. I love the DNA of buying and selling. I'm a discounter, and the business of Catch of the day is one that we've really built from from the garage to to what it is right now one of Australia's leading uh, e-commerce players, marketplaces, brands, uh, etc. Uh, again, talking about myself and my brother, my brother was a lot more involved in the scoop on business later on, and then he moved on to the menu log, but I was always the, the catch guy, you know, growing that business, growing the cash cow that, uh, that supported the other ones. Uh, yeah, my number one love is retail, so this is a relevant podcast talking to you. I um I'm a big fan of catch. I've been shopping on catch for a very long time. Even when when you were um still very heavily involved in catch and and still now, um it's an amazing concept. How did you come up with that concept? I mean, as you say, there was Paul Greenberg and deals, um, and then there was you. Mm. Was it a, a light bulb moment or? So it, it is interesting because I'll have to mention <laughs> Paul Greenberg again. Paul Greenberg was running deals direct. They were claiming to have about five thousand SKUs at the time, and we were running a business called Daily Deals that had about 70, 80, 100 SKUs. Uh, why? Because we didn't have the money to grow. We didn't have the space. We didn't have the people. Uh, we're talking very early uh, 2006. And we spotted the site in the USA uh, called Wood, W-O-O-T.com. And Wood was the first company in the world to come up with that silly, crazy concept of selling only one deal a day. And uh, we looked at it and said, wow, I mean, we think that we are great buyers, and that's the main reason to our success. Uh, we can probably bring wood to Australia. And we launched uh, catchoftheday.com.au, uh, whereby we sold one deal a day every single day at midday. The first day, we sold 13 products, and the second day, it was 20 and 30, and it just kept on growing. And uh, due to the strength of our deals, first and foremost, uh, and the lack of competitors as well, Dominique, because no one else was selling online. We managed to grow by word of mouth. Everyone told their friends about that new site that one day will sell shoes and the next day cosmetics and the following day Manchester. And you just don't know what, uh, what will come up. But, uh, we managed to what we like to describe as surprise and delight our audience by keep coming up with great deals that kept on selling at large numbers. And it just kept on growing and growing and growing from there. And by 2010, we were uh, Australia's most watched online shopping site. And uh, it was just a lot easier to keep on uh, growing and evolving. For our listeners that are trying to surprise and delight their own customers and build those relationships with customers, what's your top tip for, you know, personalization or, or just kind of building that relationship with your consumer? Look, our number one reason for success, Dominique, and, 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 and there was really one, is the ability to source great products at great prices. But how do you do that? You do that by knocking on doors, by finding that third door, by not giving up, by working hard, by, of course, having the knowledge to distinguish between a great deal and a bad deal. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, you know, you really rely on your suppliers, and those suppliers get pressures from the Jerry Harveys and, and JB Hi-Fi's of the world 
world not to sell to you. And you need to keep building those relationships and prove to them that uh, they should because you'll be able to pay them quickly, uh, do it nicely. Would you believe that one of our excuses in 2006 and seven was that we are doing it sort of undercover because not many people were selling online. Everyone was looking at bricks and mortar retail. So if you give us all your end of line and clearance, no one will actually find out about it because we are selling online. Sounds funny today, doesn't it? But that was, uh, that was life back then. It's interesting because other people have taken those concepts and now are using them, you know, exactly the same. And when I, when I think about certainly um, the circular economy and, and some of the businesses that are now partnering with large retail brands and, and taking their stock, their dormant stock, um, and reselling them, it's not dissimilar to what you're talking about. No one will ever know, but we will we'll be able to do something with that stock. It's, it's interesting to me that, you know, there's a place for no one knowing in an industry that's so focused on marketing, you know, how do you see that playing out moving forward? I mean, is there always going to be space, I guess, for retailers doing deals with retailers, which is really just about relationships, as you said earlier? Look, we talked about buyers and one line that I often use to describe buyers is that buyers are always wrong. They either buy too little and the stock sells very quickly or they buy too much and then you need to find, uh, you know, an avenue to clear it. And the best avenue to clear it today is really online because you can reach a vast audience that are not sitting within your little locality of your of your bricks and mortar store. But um, for that reason, you will probably need to you know upset the market in in one way or another. You know, brands like Adidas and Nike are very protective about their brand, but at the same time, they probably make more mistakes than anyone else because they took they're playing in such in such large volumes. So I think there's always going to be a need for companies like Catch, Iconic, uh, Osail, etc. And I'm just touching on the space of uh, fashion. It's fascinating, you know, because I think um, you know this concept of marketplace and and this kind of rise of e-commerce. Because you you will remember the time, like when I first came to the National Retail Association, we were still talking about this, you know, clicks first bricks. It was, you know, it still wasn't fidgetal. They still weren't working together. They hadn't fully embraced the concept of you absolutely need an online store. And now, you know, within a seven-year period, it is such a different landscape. What do you see as some of the biggest kind of hurdles that Australian retail have coming? I think, look, I mean, COVID has certainly made everyone realize that you cannot uh, have not have uh, a digital offering. Would you believe, Dominique, that Australia's number one retailer, Bunnings, has lost its, launched his e-commerce site in 2019? Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. But uh, they, they will never go back. I think the future actually belongs and will belong to the big retailers, the Bunnings, the JB Hi-Fi, the Mud, the David Johnsons that have an amazing following, a great uh, established brand that's been around for uh, for generations. You mentioned earlier that uh, we've seen recent growth of 9 to 17%, but the market leaders are already at 25, even 30, and I've heard some at even nearing nearing 50 
the genie is out of the bottle. It's it's not going back. We all love shopping online, uh, and 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 it just will continue being there. So yeah, I, lo- I love being part of the whole e-commerce community, especially uh, as it's just being established and becoming uh, yeah the way to go. How do you think Australia's infrastructure is going to handle that with a with such high growth in online and obviously the struggles that we saw Australia Post have, you know, certainly during the peak of of the increasing numbers of COVID nineteen, you know. Do you think that now's the time for disruption within that distribution space? Or, you know, do you think we're going to see a, a, just a change of approach when it comes to things like shipping? Look, I'm, I'm a massive supporter of Australia Post. They've been our partner. And again, we support our partners throughout the, uh, the whole journey. I think they're doing a, a tremendous job. Uh, they prepared themselves for the growth of e-commerce and, uh, and I think they've done, they've, they've managed to handle COVID, uh, in, in a tremendous way. Saying that there's a lot of disruptors out there from, uh, from many companies along the lines of ship it that are doing, uh, that are doing so well. Uh, the world is introducing us right now to the whole 15 minute delivery. But, uh, you know, your question started with how will Australia? I think Australian, the Australian consumer is still quite happy to receive a parcel within two, three, four, five, six, seven days. Uh, not so much the case in, uh, in, in, in the USA. Uh, Amazon is giving, is truly shaking the market. I can tell you my daughters love buying mainly from Amazon because they're, uh, they're fast consumers. They want to buy it at midnight and receive it in the morning or, or get same day delivery. And uh, Amazon being Amazon, they don't care that much about uh, how much uh, profits they'll make on a certain parcel, uh, is able to deliver that right now. And it's putting a lot of, a lot of pressure on, on everyone else. In our book, we mentioned that the arrival of Amazon was probably one of the main reasons that we decided to to check out and possibly mm-hmm. sell the business because we could just see that it's just going to be so competitive going into the future. And uh, the truth is, we didn't even back ourselves to be able to to play and beat uh, you know all these behemoths of industry. It's it's interesting because you know that concept of Amazon when they first emerged in Australia, there was a lot of chatter about it, but people have stopped the chatter so much in in many of the circles but it's almost as if they they absolutely play the long game and they wait and you start to kind of see them emerge how long will they play do you think until you know we start to really see you know what amazon's capable of I mean, look, look all around us, around the world, what they do, the, the size of the business, they seem to be getting into, into any territory and just conquer that territory. Uh, I'm hearing numbers of, that, that, that are crossing $2 billion. Uh, and that certainly wasn't the case a couple of years ago. So while the numbers of, you know, Catch, Kogan and everyone else in the industry seem to have uh, plateaued over the last 12 months, Amazon seems to be, uh, seems to be growing. And by the way, uh, Dominique, I'm saying that with pain because I hate them. I love Catch, you know, and I want to see Catch succeed and not Amazon. Uh, for us, it's always going to be the enemy. But as I mentioned, it's not for the consumers and it's not for my daughters either. Well, and you know what? I think you've always got to have a look at that enemy and just make sure that you can see what they're up to so you can you plan your next move, right? Absolutely. We only have a few minutes left and I ask everybody this question on this podcast, but what are you reading or watching at the moment? I know, would you believe I don't read many books, even though we wrote a book and we really enjoy doing that and I love hearing from readers, so I'm an author. <laughs> That's an interesting title as well. I actually don't read many books. I normally wait for the Netflix episodes. 
Okay, so uh, recently I, I really enjoyed the uh, the documentary, mockumentaries, documentaries about WeWork mm. and uh, discovering Anna. Oh, yes, yes, yeah, I know what I, you're talking about. Yeah, I thought, I thought uh, that was great, but uh, something else about me, I'm actually an avid uh, watcher of. Uh, Scandi Noir, which is lots of shows that come from Sweden, Norway, Denmark. You can find them all over the internet right now, uh, mainly on SBS. I love uh, police investigations normally. Oh, fantastic. When I, what I wanted to be when I grew up back in the day was a forensic psychologist. So I spent a lot of time watching uh, yeah. documentaries and, um, you know, lots of kind of crime type shows as well. So we have that in common. It has been amazing speaking to you today and your outlook certainly on the industry and top tips um, will certainly be welcomed by our listeners. And we are honestly just so honored to have you with us today. So thank you so much for your time. Wow. Thanks, Dominique. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Want to know more about the Australian retail industry? Visit nra.net.au for more insights just like these.